Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons, aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey, um, it's Sunday morning and, um, well, actually my voice doesn't feel too tired, but I thought it might be more tired because I didn't go to bed till three o'clock in the morning last night. I know. So, well, just unexpected. Um, <laughs> um, last night, Richard and I were DJing for an after party for the Brits so our set time was something like midnight we started and I had quite a tiring week, a really good week. I filmed a music video for the new single, Breaking the Circle, on Friday. Um, the single went to radio this week, which is super exciting and I, I got more excited than I normally do. I'm not saying I don't normally get excited about new singles, but I think I felt even more like woohoo because it's been so long since I've released a new album. So it feels very exciting. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I finished that. I was, I was working on Thursday night doing a gig. I didn't finish till... Oh, that's Mickey calling me. Yes, darling? I am going in the shower. But first of all, I'm just recording something. Do you want to come and sit with me? You have to be quiet, though. Come here. you just got to listen to your mama. Okay. So, yeah, Thursday night I did a gig. I didn't finish till... What time did I finish work on Thursday, Mickey? 1am, then I was up and out and on set by half seven on Friday, finished that shoot, then I went to see Belinda Carlisle on concert, which is magnificent. Mommy, how does this go? That's your bed, leave your bed alone because that, that'll make a horrible sound for people in their ears. Stop it, Mix. Um, and then, yeah, so we were DJing and I was thinking, oh, 
I was going to go do it, come home again. And of course, as soon as the music started to play, I was dancing around, super excited, feeling carefree. I was. There's your stuffs. Yeah, I was feeling super carefree. That's so sweet, Mickey. And yeah, I ended up hanging out. I had a really lovely chat with Shania Twain. She was so nice, really warm. That was unexpected, but lovely. And yeah, it was actually really fun. So anyway, today I'm a little tired, but I'm fine. And my feet are a bit sore, because even though I wore quite low shoes, like not high heels, they still hurt my feet. That's annoying, isn't it? My feet was hurting. Why are they, darling? Why were, why were your feet hurting? Oh, because you got them trapped. You got your toes trapped in a door. Yeah, that would do it. Yeah, he's okay, by the way. Anyway, this week's guest. So, Anna, Anna Hawke, who's a chef. I met her about eight weeks after she'd had her baby. And I was doing Saturday Kitchen and she was the guest chef. And I thought she was completely lovely. And she had that lovely... um, radiance about her she was so happy to have her little boy Oshin and it really stayed with me because she seemed so happy and it was a really nice thing to see such a happy new mum and um yeah so after that she uh, I went to her restaurant with Richard for our wedding anniversary last year and she happened to be there and it was honestly so lovely a place called Myrtle's in Chelsea we always go to a different restaurant every year for our anniversary and it was my year to book it and I honestly think it was possibly my favourite of all the places we've been it was really lovely and yeah really I just think Anna's such a warm woman but also so flipping good at what she does honestly food just delicious so it was a complete pleasure that she said yes to talk to me for the podcast and we had a lovely lovely chat and I got to hear the story all behind um how she became a mum because that baby much longed for anyway I will leave you with uh, Anna and I having a cup of tea I'm going to go and have another cup of tea because uh, even though I, I don't have too bad with my sleep I'm still a bit tired and uh, yeah see you on the other side Oh, well, how are you? What's up with you at the moment? What's going on? Um, I'm great. Uh, I am nice and busy. I, I opened up a pop-up in Dublin, Anna Hall at the Conrad. It's at a five-star hotel. And I have my restaurant, Myrtle and Chelsea. And I'm always doing lots of bits and bobs. I just did a, um, a kind of uh, a collaboration at a, an event called Obsession in the North Coast um, Hotel in Lancashire. And that was pretty amazing mm. it's like one of those kind of bucket list things that you'd like to do so the hotel is a beautiful hotel and and lisa is an incredible um chef as is uh, craig the the gm he's he's an amazing uh, person very inspiring both of them so for the last um i don't know if it's going 23 years the, the hotel's there 23 years but they do this kind of guest chef week mm. where they invite um, chefs to come and cook the, their menus at, at the hotel and really the best chefs ever have done this so it was a, it was a huge big deal to be asked to do it like um, my kind of mentor Shane Osborne did it back at, I think in 2008 and to see his picture up on the wall it was kind of like oh my god I didn't know he'd done this and like you know um, Pierre Kaufman and Philip Howard and I mean really the, the, the greats have done it as well as current greats so you know to be asked was a huge compliment and it was loads of fun that is great and, and so with that would you create your own you create your menu and you dictate what's going to be happening for that week 
Yeah, well, no, it's for a day. And I did it with Sally Abbey from um, uh, the PEM in London. And we did a couple of courses each. And okay. uh, came up the day before and uh, did a bit of mise en place, as we like to say in the chef world, a bit of prep. And then the next day we came in and, and kind of just smashed it. And it was just really fun. I was like... and. You know, so often with our job, it, it's associated with stress and it's associated with, you know, like constantly like pushing and, 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 and really stretching yourself. So I was so nervous going down what way it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it was just effortless. You know, oh, it was lovely. just fun and everything just slipped in together and there was no egos. It was just oh. a bit of graft, a bit of laugh and then some champagne at the end. That sounds perfect. And when it comes to things like that, when you say about the stress versus the fun bit, mm. is it kind of up to you to keep finding that? I mean, presumably, it's become a bit, bit like with musicians, actually. Some people just get a little bit hardened, a bit bitter, but they, mm. stop, they stop finding the joy and just the, the actual good bits of what we do. Does that happen, you're, do you think, with people? You're totally right. So there's certain people I wouldn't like to go out for a meal with because they suck the fun out of the meal. Yeah. You know, where I go out and I'm like, oh, this is delicious, or oh, that sounds great. Where some people are like, oh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't do it that way. And I'd be like... Yeah. Go home, <laughs> go home. You're going to like wreck the crack. You know, the whole idea <laughs> is, you know, when I eat out in a restaurant, I want to be delighted. I want to, I want to look for the best version that of this food that they're trying to give you because it's not going to make me feel good to look for holes in something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think stress is important. And I'd say it's the same with music. Stress is important to a certain extent because it's pressure. So it makes you create things in a, in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Um, but too much stress or stress that's kind of out of your control is where things all get a bit hairy and go upside down. But I, I'm a real big, like when I'm training young chefs, I'm always saying, because we have this strange thing where we use the word stress and anxiety, like as if they're interchangeable mm-hmm. and they're completely different. Anxiety is, is, is something that is, I think, very, very serious and often out of your control. Like it's it's not like something you can switch on and off. Yeah. Where stress is usually, you know, you taking on too much or maybe not doing your homework or, you know what I mean? As in yeah. stress can be kind of controlled and created and, and stopped by you. And I like that kind of stress. I thrive in that kind of environment where I'm under a lot of pressure, but I know I can come out of that pressure. Mm-hmm. But anxiety is when it's just that feeling where it's out oh, of control. A but it's a similar feeling to stress, mm-hmm. but it's it, the, the, where it comes from is from a different place. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I guess as well, you're, I mean, when you said about other chefs that you admire, but, but how are you now at a point where you've sort of put in so much of the groundwork that you can kind of pick and choose a bit more how you spend your time and still enjoy actually going out and eating food rather than just creating all the time? Oh, well, I've always enjoyed eating out. Like, even when I was a, a commie chef, so when I'd have no money, I would save up money, so every three months I could go to a Michelin star restaurant. So when people, when I say, oh, do you eat out to chefs? They're like, oh, I wish. And I'm like, listen, when I was on the breadline and I could barely afford to, like, have enough socks to keep me going for a week, I always put the pennies aside. I just didn't go mad. I had the du jour menu, you know, the, the most affordable menu you could get mm-hmm. and, you know, the most affordable, you know, glass of wine. And you, you can do it because I love the whole thing theatre of dining out so as I have gotten busier particularly after having Oisin yeah I definitely dine out less Mm -hmm. but this is only for a period of time but I still do dine out where I can I do Um, and I'm good at that I'm good at like last minute decisions where I'm like 
I've got a chance. I've got an opportunity. Just, yeah. just go for it. Just do it. Um, but yeah, I find it inspiring. Even a good pub lunch can inspire me. It doesn't always have to be, you know, one, two, three Michelin star, but don't get me wrong. I'm quite <laughs> fond of them as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think that'll ever go away. I think I'll be like 100 years of age and still delighting in, in whatever dish is put in front of me. Yeah, and the theatre of it and also the care of someone just thinking... They're just thinking about how you're going to experience it and what wonder they can bring. And I've been lucky enough to go to Myrtle's and it was so special. I love your restaurant. Oh, thank you. So nice. So for context, like every, basically when we got married, Richard and I would do it where we'd take it in turns to book a restaurant. We do alternate years um, and it's always a surprise for the other one. And we've done a mixture of things, but mainly it's going to a fancy restaurant. But I think of all of them, we've been now, how long have we been married? So I think we've been 17 years last year. So I think that's my favourite. <gasps> it was really special. Oh my God, you should use that as a soundbite on Instagram. <laughs> I like it, I like it. I'm going to be quoting you now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I liked about it is because sometimes when you go to somewhere that's fancy, it can almost, you feel like you're not the person that they were waiting for to walk in. You know, that... Yes, you can be there, and it's all very lovely, but they were kind of expecting someone else, and they're just, they've are just they given the experience to you. Whereas at your place, it was special enough that it felt like an, you know, an occasion, but actually we were really relaxed, and everybody made us feel relaxed. And I think that's not what you get all the time. That can be a bit off-putting sometimes with fine dining, can't it, if you feel a bit like you're supposed to be reacting and behaving a certain way. Absolutely. Like the, the whole drive of when I opened up Myrtle was that I wanted to take fine dining and make it slightly informal, but with all the disciplines. Mm. So the idea of uh, when you walk in and somebody with their hands behind their back, Madame, you know, that kind of. A, and then, you know, when they move the chair for you, you're like, oh, I feel so, a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, yeah. it'll be OK. I wanted to remove that feeling but still have somebody greet you, still have somebody um, bring you to your table, possibly move your chair if that's what you want. So mm. it's much more difficult to do the service that we do because it looks like it's a bit, oh, well, you know, they were just doing whatever. But actually, it's about being more in tune with the guest and thinking what they want, preempting that and, and giving it to them. Um, and it, it has taken such a long time for it to kind of be understood because mm. I felt like I was always explaining that I wanted to be informal but still disciplined. And, and the food is the same. I tried to keep the presentation quite um, kind of simple but there's lots of techniques that go into the food that make it really complicated mm. but I don't want the customers to go oh I don't know where to start I want yeah. them to just to dive into their food and, and enjoy it um, and that I feel is like this kind of underflowing message which is very Irish you know so for a modern Irish restaurant it is all about the welcome and it's all about how the person feels mm. that's really important with the kind of you know basis of, of the, the hospitality in Ireland yeah because also when you talk about people who go out and are sort of pulling apart you know, there's those people that go out to eat and they, it's like they're not using their smiling muscles at all and they're, like, they're just a bit serious about the whole thing and I remember we went to a place once uh, Richard and I and they, they sort of told us which order to eat the food in and it was all on sort of different types of rock and stuff and it's just a bit it's sort of a bit exhausting and if you your best experience of eating of course it's about eating delicious food but it's also about the conversation and how relaxed you feel like that's all part of it I even think the bit where you phone up and make a booking hmm? you how someone responds to you on the phone yep that's all part of the experience isn't it have you ever called up a restaurant and let's say it's new and you go oh is there any chance you'd have a table at like let's say eight o'clock the most popular time uh, <laughs> and then they actually go ha 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 ha, ha. no <laughs> And you're like, Jesus Christ, that's the most passive-aggressive way of telling me I'm not welcome in your restaurant. So it's, I totally agree with you. People will call up and, and try to get a table at like 8 o'clock on Saturday, mm. 
on Friday night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And how that person's made feel is really, really important to us. Mm. And also, things change so much. So we will always try to keep a waiting list. Mm. And sometimes the waiting list is quite big. But in general, it's the idea of going, we're going to add you to the waiting list. Let's see what we can do. As opposed to someone, like like as in, I could just see her slapping her thigh about what a ridiculous uh, person I was. And really, I was just excited to eat in, in the restaurant. And I think that's so important that I learned a lesson from bad service. Mm. And then you bring that to your to your own kind of establishment and think, right, what would we not do? Mm. And I think that's really important. It's like how you make people feel. Because, you know, what's that famous saying? People won't remember what you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. Mm. And that's that's almost like a motto of, of the kitchen and um, the floor. Because it is the same, how you make people feel with the food. You shouldn't feel like you've eaten your food wrong. You shouldn't feel yeah. like, oh, you failed that one, you ate that bit first, you know? <laughs> like, it's like, oh, it'll be ru- your cheese board will be ruined now because you started with the strongest flavour. I like to go from A to B to C to, you yeah. know what I mean, wherever you want to... A to B to C, that is actually in the correct order. Um, but, you know, <laughs> please don't use that. Please don't take it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so how old was Myrtle when Oisin came along? So Myrtle's nearly four years old and Oshin's a year and a half. So you do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> so it was still, you know, it's, I imagine a couple of years into establishing a restaurant is still... Oh my God, like it's it's renowned that if you open a fine dining restaurant, to get through year one is a triumph. Year two, amazing, but by year three, unlikely. It's wow. a really, really hard industry to to stay open in and chuck a lockdown in there. I was going to say. And it really was... Sprinkling of pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> it really wasn't um, for the faint-hearted. And as we came out of lockdown, I was aware that I was about to give birth and worked really hard to make sure that everybody was trained and everybody was comfortable and confident about the idea of me taking some time off. Um, and I worked right... I was very lucky that... Um, I was more comfortable standing and moving that when I sat down, I would actually get a lot of pains in my back, at the base of my back. So I worked right up until nearly a week before Oshin was born. Really? Yeah, and I've got photos of me in the kitchen, like in dungarees, like calling checks. And it's a very rare thing to see a, a pregnant woman working at that kind of level of cooking. Um, and I'm really proud of that. Um, um, but yeah, it, it all just worked it wasn't by accident it was true graft but I took three months off officially three months off away from the stove still did bits and pieces at home and, and all the rest but um, then slowly went back to work after three months I think I might have met you for the first time though before that because I feel like when I saw we did Saturday, Saturday kitchen. kitchen and I think though she was only maybe like eight weeks or something. He was, I think I, um, well, what's so crazy is that I, the day that, because Oshin is IVF. So the day that actually they did the um, the transferal of the embryo was the day I was on, it was on Saturday Kitchen that morning. So I went into the hospital before and then went straight onto Saturday Kitchen. Wow. But um, I don't know if you know about it, but they, they kind of, kind of bloat up your cavity when they're taking the eggs out. Is this a bit mm. technical to people? Listen? No, so no, I don't know. Anyway, me. so I chose a jumper that was essentially a shade or two darker than my skin, but it was very tight. So I basically looked like a kind of beige Michelin man, right? So it's all like these layers. And like nothing else to wear. And I think a couple of people were like, is that what you're wearing? And I was a bit like, yup. <laughs> I just rolled around the kitchen. I was a kite, delighted, thinking, oh, my God, I might become a mother. And I was oh. so excited. So, yeah, it's kind of funny when I think back on that. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so Oshin was a couple of weeks old, and I'd taken him for the practice um, when um, 
uh, practice when uh, the day before when you do your dish. Mm. And I've got some nice pictures of them in the, in the Saturday kitchen. kitchen Aww, but I remember how happy you were. It really mm. stayed with me because you were really so excited that he was here in the world. Yeah. And... I guess if you've been through the IVF thing, so this was your first attempt. At yes, IVF. We're, we're very, we're very, very, very lucky, um, uh, and something I would never t- take for granted. And we didn't, you know, it's all about the unknown, and that's what causes so much stress with it. But um, yeah, he he uh, bounced into the world, and whatever I think uh, endorphins or whatever little happy chemicals you get, I think I get extra ones when I mm. look at him. I feel my head explode in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> most of the time in a good way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Um, uh, but in, in you know, and to say that like I'm a real positive person, I always see the 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 good side of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I kind of um, glide over the the tricky stuff as well. Do you know what I mean? So if yeah. I'm talking about a story, I'll usually like if I have a meal, I'm going to tell you all the good stuff of that meal. I'm not going to say, oh, when I arrived, so and so was rude, or you know, as in I'd be much more focused. And then maybe I might mention one or two negatives, but I'd be like that won't take, t- that won't ruin the experience. Mm. So sometimes I I kind of glide over stuff, and it sounds easier than it is to to be a working mother, which I mm. think is impossible for it to be easy you know yeah and also to be someone that wants to be a parent and is finding it hard so when you're doing that presumably you're still having to hit all your targets and work really hard do you think you how what was your relationship with work like at that time I don't know I I, once it's just Myrtle the restaurant Myrtle for me I find that much easier because I'm in complete control, mm. I make the decisions. And it's 100% your restaurant, isn't yeah. it? Which is actually yeah. pretty unusual. Actually, just recently I gave uh, um, a, a portion of the restaurant to the GM, uh, Daniel, because he's so brilliant. And I always said I would do it, that it was mm. like, I'm not one of the, I lo- I'm a team, ma- I love being part of a team doing stuff. I'm not a lone rider. And I always knew if I found the right person who wanted to manage the floor like the way I managed the kitchen, they would yeah. get a slice of the pie. And uh, he deserves it, so he's, he's now a part owner. Um, but, you know, essentially when it comes to the food, and Daniel and I have got really similar mindsets. Mm. So it's like when we come up with an idea, it, it's, it's very easy for it to flow. Um, so from that point of view, that's all quite easy. It is stressful when you're trying to, manage overheads as everything is spiraling out of control at the moment but when I opened up um the Dublin site Anna Hoth the Conrad which was amazing same kind of concept fine dining Irish food Mm -hmm. lovely warm welcome that was much harder than I ever as in I knew it would be tricky but that was a real that was the baby the dog the fella and me all staying in a beautiful suite in the hotel Mm. but that was quite intense that was like 15 seconds from bedroom to work so no commute no no time to just get my head straight oh yeah that was really intense and at one stage I was like oh my god what's going to happen and then the minute we opened I was like okay this is what I can do this is this is what I'm trained to do but that was really 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 hard and 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 really stretched me from a point of view of um just no no me time yeah um and I didn't know that me time could actually just be a commute to work or yes a, a walk to the shops because I once you're living in a hotel you're not walking to the shops you don't you don't put on a wash you don't those normal mundane tasks you do mm. which you're like oh I don't want to do it but they actually break your mind away and yes you can just focus on it so that was really really hard but yeah and they're not just about you time they're also a time when you can be involved in the purpose of getting from A to B but you're allowed to think free thoughts about the things you're doing so it might 
make a difference about something, you know, a nuance of something you're doing at work. Mm. Are, it's actually quite... An, in lockdown for me, was like, I really saw that, like, oh, all that casual stuff is actually mm. really useful. Yeah. I thought it was just the, the sort of faffing amongst the, you know, the pure stuff. But once you distill it yeah. to, like, like with you, with this, like, baby in one room and then down in the lift and then kitchen that's like it, you take away all the other stuff and it's like it's like all your um punctuation marks are gone there's yeah. no commas there's no dashes there's no brackets it's just yeah <laughs> and and everything had to come from me and that was hard because we're in dublin in my hometown and then the you know, obviously the little pooch she needs her little walks mm-hmm. and then just balancing that that you know all of that was was really tricky but i also believe in when you stretch yourself and if you stretch yourself in the right way, mm. that's how you grow. Yeah. As in, if I didn't do that, I mean, what we've done in, in Dublin is really, really remarkable. Our cuisine is, is something that doesn't, it hasn't been properly formed. So to be part of that revolution in, you know, my home city is really important to me. Mm. And, you know, so although I'm split between two cities... I haven't just thrown my name to a hotel and said, oh, just I'm very, very involved. And when I'm there, you know, I want to give myself 100%. And that's what was so difficult. When I'm with Oshin, 100% he gets me. Like, mm. that's it. I, well, not gets me, he does get me, but I, he gets 100% of me. So that's where there was no space for me. It was like work and then home and then work and then home. Mm. And that was, was really, really intense for a, a good few months. But that was in, you know, as a result, the work got done and Oshin mm. was taken care of. So... You know, I couldn't do that long term, I think. I think that was too much to, to kind of give. But what I've gotten in return is is huge. Was there ever a, a worry that you were going to, if you're so passionate about the work you're doing and still, you know, taking on new challenges, were you ever worried that your ambition for that might diminish when you... No. Did you not really think about it very much? No, I didn't. I there's some stuff I overthink, and then there's other stuff I don't think or worry about at all. <laughs> some stuff, you know, I really believe in momentum and I believe in flow. I think when I stop, like the lockdown was quite hard for me. I I think my self esteem and my confidence is is really connected with my job. Mm. You know, um, so when I wasn't regularly going to, even now, like if I don't regularly do shifts in the kitchen, like where I'm cooking and then I'm serving and doing that. As in, something feels missing, mm. you know, really feels missing. So I, I, I know that part of my, and my partner, Rich, he knows that part of my happiness comes from being able to express myself in my job. Mm. It, you know, I hate when people um, connect cooking with art or artists. But as I get older, I'm like, it is about expression. I've got something I want to share and it's something delicious. And I want you to eat it and then go, oh, that's lovely. You know, it's yeah. like when somebody listens to your song and you're like, I want to dance. You're like, you want to make somebody feel something. Yeah. And, you know, Rich used to say, well, just love me more or do more stuff for me. And I was like, oh, you know, I need a bigger audience. <laughs> <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a fundamental as well. I mean, everybody has a relationship with food. There's lots of jobs you could do that not everybody has to have a relationship with. Nobody has a relationship with medicine, for example. But we all, by the age of, what, one, have got some beginnings of a relationship with food and nourishment and it's often linked with you know family or people who are around you good bad all sorts you know but and a lot of I honestly think that our relationship with like love and money and food are kind of pretty much established by the time you're about 10 mm-hmm. in terms of like you're the fundamental emotional response you can obviously put layers on that mm-hmm. or shift things around a bit with a bit of conscious work but really when we're little is when all those maps are growing I think and so you were growing up in this quite big family mm. and one of four mm. and as I understand it was your mum that was always cooking and everything was kind of homemade and yeah well my mum would have come from like Dublin mountains so Barnacullia and dad's from in, inner city Dublin so two kind of working class backgrounds but I think my mum would have had a um, you know a more frugal or a, a harsher financial beginning So as a result, she made everything homemade because back then, if you bought something processed, it was really expensive. It was actually seen as a luxury where Mm. now something processed tends to be cheaper Mm. um, and not not as held in such a high regard. So she made everything homemade because she wanted us to be nourished. But also she was really good at home economics. She was really good at getting the best out of something uh, time wise, nourishment wise and cost-wise. So we were raised how to shop, how to choose ingredients in the supermarket, how you would pick a tomato, how you would pick an apple, like all of those things. We grew fruit at the back garden and she was just giving us what she thought was life skills. So it wasn't like the beauty of it. It wasn't like romanticized. She'll talk about it now, like it's romanticized. I taught her everything she knows. But actually it was life skills. She was teaching us how to survive. She didn't know what way our lives would be and she knew how hard you know, her life, not that her life was hard, but how, you know, they were very aware of it wasn't easy to come by things. Mm. Um, And as a result, she made sure that all of us could do loads of what is considered back then basic skills, where now are almost like bespoke skills that people go to courses on to learn. Like lots of people don't know how to cook. They don't know how to make bread. They don't know how to make stocks. They don't know how to preserve, ferment or do chutneys where we were just given that and we hated every second of it. <laughs> um, um, uh, why do we have to make this horrible brown jam? The most delicious gooseberry jam in the universe. I can still taste it. I can still feel the texture of it. Such an amazing balance of sweet and acidity and depth of flavour. Like amazing. And I moaned and moaned and I wanted that <laughs> generic pink muck that you could buy for 50p in the shop and her heart was broken because she was giving us the best but it's only years later that mm. you realize how lucky we were like that gooseberry jam ah. I once tried to grow a gooseberry 
bush in memory of it with Henry, my stepson. And I was like, Henry, we're going to do this. And we uh, buried loads of garlic to do to grow scapes and some other bits and pieces. I was like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to like, you know, have loads of food. And and then I buried the gooseberry bush, like the, the, the stem of the gooseberry bush beside a hydrangea. And then it grew into a hydrangea. I don't know if hydrangeas do that to other plants. Oh. Or else I'm just the most unluckiest person because I had the gooseberry thing stapled onto it. Yeah. But it grew as a hydrangea. I, oh. when it comes to planting and growing, forget it. Oh, me too. I kill it. I'm a serial killer. <laughs> I kill everything. <laughs> yeah. I know. I can't keep anything alive like that. No. Like plants are just not my thing. So I, w- I wish I was a kind of god as well. Like, well, actually, the hydrangea. Yeah, a classic example of something. <laughs> No idea. I mean, to me, that's kind of magical. It grew into yeah. something you weren't expecting. But I already had a hydrangea bush, and I love hydrangea. Hydrangea jam. <laughs> do you know what? I should have when I was a little girl. I used to make perfume. Did you ever do that? Oh yes, I did. I used to go around to all the neighbours who had beautiful flowers. Yeah, put oh, rose petals. And smash them in with yes, water, water, and then realise that smelled like nothing. Go up to your mum's perfume, slash that in, and then get your mum to smell it, and then your mum go. Were you at my perfume? Uh, no, I just yeah. totally just made this Dior, um, uh, you know, rip off from the locals' na- um, rose flowers. Water. Yeah. I was obsessed with making rose water. I thought it was going to be very beautiful, like a sort of Victorian toilette type yeah. water. And it would never be. And then it go mouldy on your windowsill. Exactly. Rose. like, yeah, damp flowers. Yeah. Not good. Um, <laughs> but with your mum, so what's interesting is that for a lot of um, mums with, you know, young kids, they might actually do all that stuff, but they wouldn't actually involve the kids because to, for her to actually take the time to show you this is what I'm doing and this is why is actually quite unusual because for her it would be much quicker just to be like, get out from under my feet, I'm going to make supper or I'm going to make this jam or whatever she's doing. Yeah, you're dead right, but she, she maybe that's where I get my leadership skills from. She's mm-hmm. a taskmaster. So... I used to say the jam was like three Michelin star jam. We used to do blackcurrant jam and gooseberry jam and we top and tail the gooseberry, obviously. She used to make us top and tail blackcurrants. Do you know? Do you know? Blackcurrants are like the size of your 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 baby, the tip of your baby finger. The, top and tail them like hundreds of thousands of them, and then you'd be throwing fifty p, and you'd be purple fingered for about a, a week. Um, so she she would make us do tasks because many hands make light work, mm. and she did volume of stuff. But I also do think that she saw this as a responsibility. So my grandmother did it for her. Mm. So she she passed it on to us. But I would totally agree with you that it's much easier and faster to do it yourself. But for you to be able to do other things and grow as a businesswoman, I now, like I do have to train my staff to go, listen, I know you're faster on your own, guys. But if you train that person to pass that stock and you train that person to do your vegetable, that means that you could have a break or you could then focus on doing something else with more detail. So you, you free up your, your time mm. and then also you're training the people at the same time. So it has like a, a cycle. So I guess I got later leadership skills from my mother. Yeah. And she was very good at like disciplining us. She was very, And my parents were really good at teaching us how to save. Like I said, they really gave us layered life skills because I think they were always afraid something could go wrong. Something could change. And if everything falls apart, yeah. you could still take care of yourself. You yeah. know, my dad built our extension with my uncles. It was mental. I don't even think they had an architect who did the drawings. I don't, I honestly, I think they were just like, yeah, get cement, get some bricks. Uh, let's just give this a go. And then they built the extension. Wow. It's mental. <laughs> but then talking of crazy, am I right that when you first left to go and start looking for work in Paris, because you're thinking, right, I need to... You didn't even have anywhere to live or a job. Oh, my God, you do you remember that? <laughs> oh, my God, it was so hilarious. So my parents are so how really... How old are you at this point? I think I was, let's say, I want to say 19 or 20, around that age. And this is when you've already decided... 
I'd already it's the kitchen. For I'd already love. done college, so maybe I was twenty one. Um, I'd already done my in Ireland. We call you know your studying is college, like in America, it's the mm. same. Um, and uh, I'd finished my course, and I'd and done my apprenticeship. On. I'd done my apprenticeship, yeah. and my parents would be non. What would you say? They um, risk averse. They like things to be safe because I think of where they came from, that mm. they were like, they believed in structure. So when I was going there, like, have you got somewhere to live? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally, totally. And have you got a job lined up? Oh, yeah, really excited about the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I packed my bag like somebody who was like on the run from the police, right? So I just like <laughs> threw everything into a bag <laughs> and then just left. Bye, see, bye, bye, love you, bye. And then got to Paris and was like, right. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Oh, it's getting dark. Oh, I better sort myself out. So like lived in a hostel for a while. Lived in a hostel for a while and I got a job down the road from the hostel. Well, I couldn't speak French and um, had to learn French really quickly. And then I remember arguing with the owner of this kind of cafe about he didn't pay my boyfriend properly. I kind of dismissed him and then didn't pay him. And I had to study French the night before to go in and basically fight for my boyfriend's money. And my boyfriend couldn't speak French at all. And... Uh, or else I want to, I can't remember it really because it's like a long time ago. It's over 20 years ago now. Um, and uh, I, uh, I went in and all the staff were like listening outside the door. And I, I think I was shouting because I, I, I tend to go towards shout if I get excited. And they were all like, yeah, they were like cheering me on as I was trying to use complicated kind of uh, tenses because in, in, they would have wow. known how bad my French was. Um, but yeah, and then I left there and I went to work for, I was only there for a few weeks. It was mm. really like I was trying to get my head around French before I headed into the scary kitchen, which was a job I had gotten, which was um, for Gualtero Marchesi. Um, and that was, you know, you needed your wits about you in mm. that kitchen. It was quite intense. Amazing kitchen. And when you start out, what's the sort of um, trajectory for working your way up to... The, the level so where do you start yeah so actually that's a really good question when people who wouldn't be as um into the food kind of world as mm. much as me I do forget that so you start off as an apprentice and then you move on to a commie mm-hmm. and then after a commie you become uh, well a commie chef then you move on to a demi chef and then a chef de partie and then you're like a junior sous sous chef um senior sous chef and then you become head chef executive chef champion of the universe mm-hmm. um, so it is quite layered and then there's obviously different people involved in there so then you could have like um, uh, obviously pastry chefs and you could have chocolatiers and you could have sauce chefs so there's 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 a whole array of different titles mm. but as a kind of basic kind of um, hierarchy structure that's what it is but it's so detailed like you can hire somebody who's just a pasta chef you can hire somebody who's just um, in charge of pies as in it depends what your mm. your your business is um, yeah. like some people would just do afternoon tea but mightn't necessarily do um, you know desserts as in big plated desserts it's 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 really about what the business is looking for and what made you want to do that because presumably working with food you could you could have picked lots of different levels what made you get so keep much climbing? It, so much of it wasn't in my control. So, like, first of all, I didn't. I, I when I was in school, I went to the teacher. My friend's mother, um, Liz, had said, "Why don't you become a chef, Anna?" And I was like, "What? Are you joking?" I was like, "It didn't even dawn on me that it was a career because all those years ago, it wasn't like now." Mm. So I went into my career guidance teacher and I said. I think I'd like to be a chef. And she laughed. Tears tears came out of her eyes. And she said, go on out of there now, Anna. You'll be a teacher now. Chef, get out. Oh, you made my day with that joke. What a shock and disgraceful. Uh, she, her, she was career guidance. Um, so then, <laughs> yeah, about, about two years later, I accidentally was nearly in a kitchen. Somebody asked me to open a tin of fruit cocktails. The kitchen was empty. There was no people in the kitchen. Mm. And I walked in. 
and like something in my stomach just like clicked. That was it. This is for, this is missing in my life. I, it was totally out of my control. And from that, my entire career for quite a period of time was out of my control. I was put on pastry, didn't want to be on pastry, but I had boobs and ovaries. So they were like, that's where you go. And then I got more, the more trained I became on that, it was harder to get off pastry because they were like, oh my God, you've got this experience. And it wasn't until I went to Pied de Terre um, for Shane Osborne that he took me off pastry. And then I started to kind of go up the kind of more traditional um, hierarchy system. Uh, but still never visualized myself being a head chef. I'm kind of disappointed I didn't have bigger goals. But I think in my belly, I knew, I knew I'd do well. So it was like a, it was like a blind goal. It was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do really well. Mm. <laughs> I just didn't have a title for it. So I just strove. I wanted to be good and understand how things worked. Didn't want to just make things pretty. Didn't want to just be like, oh, great, I'm cooking meat. I wanted to understand why did that go gray when I did that? Why did that not puff up properly? I wanted mm. to understand the kind of techniques. Um, and I was never in a hurry to get a title at all, which was lucky because the titles came very slow. Mm -hmm. I mean, by the time I ever got a promotion, I was overqualified by the time I got that promotion. But um, that was just the world was different back then. You know, they didn't see women as... Well, I was going to ask leader. about that, and I was thinking, is that something that is a, a big factor in, in that world? Because I've noticed a lot of the people you're talking about as people who've been inspiring. I don't think I've heard any women's names in there. Well, when I was younger, um, I worked in, uh, did my apprenticeship in a restaurant called Le Cravan. So there was, uh, I mean, it, I think it was 60-40 split at one stage, women to men. So there was more women than men in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So Ruth was the sous chef. Uh, Mary was the head pastry chef. There was me. Um, and then there was a whole array of like demi chefs and commies and apprentices and stuff who were girls. Right? Loads of them. And um, everybody very strong, very ambitious. And gender just didn't come into it. No, nobody cared. And then I came to London and they were like, look at this dancing monkey. She's very odd. She wants to cook. Dance, monkey, dance. And I was just like, are you joking me? Like... I've worked with loads of them, and they're like, women aren't good at cooking. I was like, what the hell? They were, they were like, they're not passionate, they're not strong enough. I was like, you need to hop on a plane and head to the restaurant I've just come from because it's basically run by a woman. So very often when you're the sous chef or senior sous, mm. you are running, you're like a head chef once the head chef isn't there. And, yeah. and that's what Ruth was doing, like managing the whole thing. And it was just really bizarre that th they had no experience of working with women. So therefore they thought they weren't good. So I, you know, battled and I would have been a very aggressive version of myself. I would have still been like... Zippity doo da, hey guys. You know, like I would have been still chirpy, but once I would have been working, I would have fought to protect my section because I knew if yeah. you were soft, they they would steal your mise en place, they'd mess up your life. You had to be very able for yourself in those kitchens. Yeah. There was, there was no easy journey for a girl at all, but there was no easy journey for a guy. You I was know, say, they were hard kitchens. I've seen as well. Um, some chefs, I mean, I my uh, father-in-law was a chef and he used to do, um, I think it was pastry. Uh, and he, I said, how did you get through it? Because he was telling me about service. This was in the 60s and it sounded very pressurised. And he said, I drank. Mm -hmm. And I think there's quite a lot of that that goes on with people finding ways. I mean, I was thinking, I mean, how do you even like date and stuff like that when you're in that environment? Because presumably your hours are pretty antisocial. You probably don't spend a lot of time with friends and things like that at that time you're just you have to kind of dedicate yourself presumably oh Sophie there's so much sadness that I could talk about what I've witnessed over the years real sadness of um lovely people falling into drink falling into drugs 
Um, and it is a really, um, it's a dark side of, of lots of professions that have stress. Um, I've, I'm so lucky, and this is where, like, I know I always focus on the positives, but I'm very lucky that I, I'm still friends with the girls that I went to school with, you know, from Tala. I'm, I'm very close with my family. So when anything would ever go wrong, there was just always somebody there to talk to. or So there was no situation where I turned to drink or drugs to survive or to feel better because I was always looking forward to my weekends home with the girls. I'd save my money up. And then I used to go home for like just over 24 hours and we would party our little hearts out and then I'd come back replenished, rejuvenated and satisfied and would have told them, I used to call my girlfriends or my family from the red phone boxes, you know, with your call cards, like I'm so old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born before the internet. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I, I, those, that, that, that's what mental health is all about. It's sometimes just getting on the phone and going, this is really hard. I wouldn't tell my parents because they'd have gotten on an airplane and scooped me up and took me back. It was, it was pretty intense. There was bullying. There was all sorts of stuff that went on. But I did talk to it with my partner at the time what he was going through, he was a chef as well. And we really, really supported each other. Um, so, but there are people who don't have that. And I feel mm. really aware of it as a business owner. You get young fellas and young ones coming from, let's say, north of England. and They're only young, like in their 20s. They're like still little bambies rattling around. They don't know where their arms and legs should go. <laughs> and they are looking for a new life. Maybe a new family might have come from a hard um, start and they want to fit in. And if there's a big strong drug culture or drink culture. They'll join it because they'll be like monkey see monkey do. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what humans are like. We just mirror people we admire. And then if they're too young and don't have the right support network to pull them up and go, hey, 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 slow down. They're the ones that go missing and they disappear and you you don't maybe ever hear from them or then you do hear from them and the story's really sad or they pass away. And it's it's, a lot of really, really sad memories um, to do with that. And I feel, you know, I've been, you know, quite lucky from yeah. that point of view. And I guess as well, it makes you even more determined to create a wholesome, functioning 100%. environment where it's not about that and mm. it's about valuing people and and working as a team. And, I mean, the fact that you've, you know, made your... Would you, as you say, it's general... No, with the guy that you... GM, yeah, yeah GM, Daniel, yeah. So that made him part of it because you can value how... The, necessary that symbiosis is in mm. working the business is really I mean that speaks volumes about what where you place your your values mm. but it doesn't mean it's easy so it's like this kind of nice hey guys adult crush time let's go play you want a cup of coffee you know like this whole idea of running a kitchen it's really hard mm. because people's default is to kind of kind of be defensive and fight and protect it's really strange mm. so even though you're creating this nurturing environment every so often somebody might go uh I'm doing this, but that person isn't doing that. And I'm like, all right, be cool. You know, we can kind of fix that. But then it kind of like people move into like cliques and gangs. Mm. So it's a full-time job where you're kind of putting out fires and re-sending uh, the message of nurturing, taking care of. It's not just that because I'm like that, then automatically it happens. Mm. So the thing is with any message in business is that you have to work at it to protect it. Yeah. So to keep a nice, safe environment in the kitchen and on the floor, I am constantly leading by example, which is what Daniel does as well, but also keeping an eye if somebody's saying a joke that feels inappropriate or, you know what I mean? Keeping an eye on it because... When you're a junior, you'll laugh at that joke, even though inside you die. Like all of the weird jokes that used to be said. Yeah. And then, or the comments of, oh, you're not like a normal girl. Okay, I'm not like a normal. That, that means I'm one of the good ones, right? Like as in all those weird things yeah. that would be said. 
could still creep back into any work environment because it just seems to be instinctive in humans that when power is involved, people make bad decisions. So yeah. it's a really, that's as much a full-time job as it is, you know, running a business. And you're right about those tiny things being indicative of a culture that's part of a bigger, more insidious, dark thing. Mm. That's the stuff to keep an eye on, isn't it? Yeah, and it's really hard. That's and the bit I hate. And can I ask you a little bit about being a being a stepmom? Because I have a stepmom, so I'm always kind of curious to hear people. How how old was Henry? Is it? I think Henry would have been maybe eleven when I first met him, and uh, that's quite a tricky age to to forge that relationship in some ways because you're quite grown up at eleven. Yeah, and, and also maybe it has some benefits. To he it would as be well. quite. Um, he was well able for himself as well at that age. But Henry's lovely. He's. Um, He's so like his dad, but he's also so like his mum. He's very affectionate, but also, you know, he's a teenager, so he's like, you know, get away from me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've always hugged and kissed. And we definitely, in the beginning, would have had some hard times because I am I believe in kind of rules and, and, and discipline. So when he'd be with us, Rich would be a bit like, oh, whatever you want, son. I'd be like, you can have that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry would be like, you know, not always loving it in the beginning. But as time went on, I think that consistency will always prevail. So I love Henry and I always want the best for Henry. And, and all I can do is behave in a way that I think I should behave, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking of things that are good for him. So sometimes no doesn't mean I don't like you or no doesn't always mean um, uh, you can't have what you want. Sometimes no actually is better for you, if you know what I mean. It's kind of yeah. a difficult thing to say, but he has a wonderful mother and he's a wonderful father. And my role was kind of tricky in the beginning because I was almost like, I guess, like an auntie, you know, and trying to kind of fit into that, trying to let that role naturally grow was, was difficult. And and on the mistakes you make along the way, you know, like when we would go on holidays, we'd always have Henry stay in the same room as us. And... Henry would have his own room when he'd be away with his mum and his, his stepdad. And I'd be like, well, they get you all the time. And Rich would be the same. This would be me and Rich saying together, they get you all the time. We have a small period of time with you. So therefore, we want to watch you while you sleep, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, there's many holidays where I'd book the thing in the wrong way and something would just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't go yeah. to plan. It would just always look like it was my fault. It always felt like it was my fault. And it was really hard. But, you know, over time those things kind of iron out and they become funny memories because my heart was always in the right place and you you can only see that really in hindsight but when you're a kid in the moment it's kind of like you know you feel like it's misunderstood but um but yeah uh he just turned 18 and I'm really proud of him he's a lovely person you know and he's gonna you know I I should say he's a man but it's so hard because you're like oh yeah they're so young I know Um, 18 is young my eldest is 18 yeah and I it's like it's like he sort of has different hats he puts on sometimes yeah. as well because sometimes he look, I'll catch him at the corner of my eye and I'm like, oh my God, adult, isn't he? Man here. Yeah. And other times something will happen or particularly when he's got the dynamic of with his brothers and you're like, oh, you're still really little. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes like when they need help with something and you're like, I'll help you. You know, know, it's quite I nice. I've to cut up Sonny's food sometimes. So I was like, calm down. Because I'm obviously like in the flow, like I'll be doing something for, like he sits in between like yeah. his seven-year-old brother and and his four-year-old brother, so yeah. sometimes I'd just be like, and now you, and I'm yeah. like, I don't need to chop up his food. It's fine. Yeah, but probably deep down he kind of likes it a little bit because when he sees somebody else getting the treatment, you know, whatever it is for kids. Yeah, it's you true, know. actually. But yeah, Henry's very good with Oshin, and Henry picked Oshin's name. Oh, that's yeah, lovely. Yeah, and even his middle name. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's quite oh, That's sweet. very trusting of you. Well, 
I mean, we gave him the list of names to choose from. So it was, you know, uh, but I'd wanted it to be uh, Oshin to be the first name. And Ronnie, my, my uncle was named Ronnie. So he's Oshin Ronnie. But, oh, that's um, lovely. What's Henry's? Henry's middle name is... Um, What's the Cray twins? What's the other Cray twin called again? Reggie and Reggie. Reggie. So yeah. that's that's really that's it. But w- w- it was a total accidental <laughs> thing. So he's Henry Reggie, <laughs> and Oshin is. That's is, so funny. Yeah, I know it's gas. <laughs> but that's uh, I mean, with the names, I remember when um, I was having uh, Kit. So Sonny was near, was four, mm. and he wanted to call him. Um, what did he want to call him? He wanted. What's the main Optimus Prime? <laughs> 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 and then when I was having. So I had Ray. I don't think I consulted anyone with that one. And then I was having Jesse, and I said to the kids, what do you think we should call him? And Kit wanted to call him Kit Jr., which I thought was kind of amazing. So I would have had Sonny, Kit, Ray, and then Kit Jr. It was so eccentric, I kind of wanted to do it. (laughs) It's not great. It's so egotistical as well. Just call him Kit Jr., please. It's fine. Oh, sweet. Oh, she, is it uh, Little Deer? Is that what you said it means? Well, it actually means poet and warrior, but there's like oh, a few different cool. names of it, which I all thought was like, yeah, all good stuff. And when you're in Ireland, and it's something actually I worry about a lot with Oisin, um, you're raised with folklore and and so you're ma- raised with real history and making up history kind of intertwined. You get confused with what's real and what's not real, <laughs> but it's so part of your culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like he was just talking about it the other day with Rich and I was like, how do I just let that effortlessly filter into his life? where it doesn't feel like sit down I'm going to give you a lesson on Irish culture son (laughs) like I worry about the idea that the culture will be a burden on him to learn as opposed to when you live in the country you just absorb it and Rich was like oh it's grand he'll go on holidays and I was like that's not how culture works (laughs) as in it has to be drip fed to you yeah regularly so I don't know how I'm going to do that but um, so do you feel quite responsible then that that's something you definitely want to impart and make part of who he is Absolutely. And then when he gets to the age where, you know, he will identify, with, you know, whatever person he wants to be. But unless I give him some sort of foundation of the culture, if he gets older, he'd be like, why don't I feel connected to Ireland? You know, as in mm. if he wants that and he might not want that, but I have to kind of give him the opportunity of the choice. And then if he wants, as he gets older to to embark on it and learn more, he can. And if he doesn't, he doesn't have to. Mm. But if I don't put an effort in while he's young, um, he could be angry at me later on, you know, because... You just don't want him to feel like he's half Irish without knowing anything about, you know, Ireland. Well, I guess as well, it's it's so much part of what you've brought here. Like mm. you're, it, it's it's funny you're almost doing the uh, the sort of reverse thing, aren't you? It's like now you have to be the representative for that, and <laughs> you know. But but uh, I it's I was talking again. I was talking about this. We were going for a walk uh, along the river uh, yesterday, and. Uh, I'm not nationalistic. I don't agree with people who are um, nationalistic. I'm proud of my culture. But I think if I'd grown up in any country, I would feel that way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, I have to remove the cat. That's and just I, jumped on the I definitely don't want Oshin to feel like he is part of the restaurant or the brand or mm-hmm. me because he will then probably hate Ireland. He, you know, children will always kind of push against that. Yeah. Um, but so... You know, I feel like that's something I have to be sensitive about because I, I want him to have his own identity. I want him to be who he wants to be. But in the beginning, he obviously doesn't know who he wants to be. So I just want to give him information to then yeah. have that as a foundation. And he makes a choice later on. God, you'll have to cut this out. That is way too long. Sorry. No, it's not. But also it's interesting because I suppose you're sort of picturing a time when, which is because he's only 18 months. So you're sort of so far ahead. Like, And there's so many things that will happen between now and then about, 
indicate like you might start getting him you know doing all the cooking with him and he's a bit like this just doesn't interest mm. me or he might be like this is amazing you know and you just don't really know no and and I, I, i'm really a long game person i always <laughs> think of like far 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 down the road and i don't worry about the little bits in between mm. but i'm always thinking of something down down the line and i think that if i wasn't being aware of uh, Oshin's kind of cultural heritage. Mm. I could be five years down the line going, oh, maybe I should have just read those nursery rhymes to him and then that would be done. Yeah. You can't read those nursery rhymes when he's at a certain age. So no. there's like a feeling of some stuff I'll put into action, but I, I just wanted to feel a bit more like the way when I was a kid, when I went to bed, what was read to me. So we would have had um, Irish folklore, but then it would have moved on to the Beano. You mm. know what I mean? As in, yeah. I want him to have a normal childhood. I don't, I, want it, to yeah. be, I don't want him to be smothered by me, but it sounds like I'm going to smother him. Sorry, son. No, it does. It just seems like you're being thoughtful. And it's, I think, you know, when you, when you become a parent, you are thinking about, as we spoke to who said about it like a, a backpack of all the things you want them mm. to have as like tools you're passing on and I think that is kind of what starts to happen but I'm also wondering I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that he was obviously as an IVF baby you know this wasn't you, you have to plan these things sometimes you realize okay I'm probably not going to get pregnant by accident so I have to make this happen and you know does it still feel kind of like completely astounding that he's here I walk past he has this little blue coat and it's a bit snug on him. And to be honest, his clothes are always snug on him. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those mothers who just is always a step behind for getting the right sizes. You know, as in, I'm like, oh, I've got to go shopping again. Um, and he got a lot of hand-me-downs, in fairness. I'm so proud of that. I mean, really making the most. And then I've washed them all, I've ironed them up and I'm ready to pass them on. I really believe in that. But I pass by his little blue coat and I think of his little chubby hands sticking out of it. And I just go, oh, I prayed that I'd have that day. You know, like the little socks. And they're odd. I'm like, where is your little matching sock? And I love looking at it. And I was like, your feet used to fit into these, but now the little meaty feet don't, little, they don't fit into it anymore. I, I, I loved, I looked forward to the day that I would see little tiny clothes around the house. Um, yeah, so I do feel very grateful. But I am a person who's quite present in a moment. So I'm, I'm also very grateful for my friends, my family, even things like I'm really grateful that I have a house that I can put the heating on. I When I have a good program to watch, sometimes I can be in the moment and I kind of go, oh, this is deadly. You know, or um, I love popcorn and, and, and especially if I'm hungry and I'm eating something, I'll be like, this is a treat. As in, I, I, I am in a moment person mm. um, and I have lots of moments with Oshin. Oh, and, that's and so Henry. lovely. And I know what you mean about the little clothes around the house. But I suppose if you said you're someone who thinks long-term, there must have been points where you were thinking, maybe that's... Like trying to picture your life without that bit as well because you've you, that's something you have to think about if that's a process you're going through so I, I found it very we tried for about seven years to have a little one and I didn't know we were going to have a, a, a child so um I'd gotten to the stage where I really had felt quite um I guess out of my personality a bit negative in a way that I couldn't look at other in particular, women and children, not really just families. It was mothers and children, especially if, let's say, the kids were doing their head in. I found it really painful uh, to look at. So sometimes when I'd be going to the shops, I used to kind of cross over the road. And it was, you know, there was many times I would be upset and I would cry um, because I just thought that's not going to be for me. I'm not I'm not going to have that. And they have that. And it looks like they don't 
really, you know, ha- they're not having a great time. <laughs> you know, like you, in, you interpret things. And then one day I remember sitting down and kind of going, oh, I have this in my life, I have that in my life, I have these people. And fundamentally, I am really happy. I've got good stuff. This is a great life. And then I started to be able to find joy in other people's kids again. As in, I was always, I didn't have that same feeling to people who I knew. Mm-hmm. So that feeling was only for strangers, if that made sense. Yeah, where you could sort of project things, I guess. Yes. And then when I would see little ones in, in the supermarket, I'm that odd person who's like giving them a wink or going, hiya, I'm that strange person, even now. Um, so I went back to that person and I accepted um, that uh, um, I was going to uh, not have children and still be happy. And then I was got the phone call and the, was in lockdown and they were reopening clinics and they I was on the list and I was able to go and go through IVF and it was a really really emotional time I remember when the nurse called me up and I just kept repeating my age I kept going I didn't understand how I'd been allowed (laughs) I really just thought because I was older they would choose somebody younger because of the success rate so I just kept saying to her because I was worried I'd get down the road they'd be like oh there's been a mistake you're too old because I was literally on the the you know the 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 threshold of of not being allowed uh, get the sport so yeah and it was was really fluid and I was really taken care of and they were all along the way they were just wonderful and and now I've got that little stinky mm-hmm. butt um to show for it so I'm very grateful yeah that's wonderful I think um I think as well like there's so many people who go through it and actually a friend girlfriend of mine uh she put a post up recently where she said you know, we've noticed as a couple that a lot of people don't really speak about this. So we just thought we'd be really upfront and say we've been going through IVF. And if anyone out there wants to speak about it with me and all this, and I think it's really powerful um, and lovely. And I, I'm just really happy it worked out as well. It's really special. And I think once you, I think it's good to acknowledge that, you know, there's lots of things going on behind closed doors and that people do have sometimes have a very hard time not you know becoming a parent or having to accept where they're at with it and that's I think we you know you sometimes get a bit lost in it don't you especially with I remember speaking to Emma Barnett who'd gone through IVF to have a baby and she said like she couldn't believe all the people putting things on social media all the time or they'd be she'd know they'd had a hard time and then they'd have the baby and then they'd be like posting all the time and be like why are you doing that that's so hard for me to see but I guess Mm. you just uh it's so personal, all of it, isn't it? It's just down to it's such an individual thing. It's so personal. And, and your mindset that you're in, you can go on to social media or watch a movie and interpret it in a completely different way, depending on what how your week has been. Mm. You know, and being kind of self-aware is so important for us. So knowing that if you are triggered or you're in a place that s- stay away from social media, like put on that program that makes you feel warm and fuzzy. So when I'm stressed... I, uh, unannounced to myself in the beginning, my partner used to put on the Office USA. Ding-a-ling, you know, the intro music <laughs> would come in and all of a sudden I'd kind of, you know, waddle over and flop onto the sofa and, and kind of have the warm hug of that safe, friendly little comedy mm. as opposed to kind of getting lost in your thoughts as in being aware when you're being triggered is quite empowering. Yeah. Kind of stepping away from stuff that make you feel bad because wallowing is really dangerous, you know? It sounds like you're very attuned to sort of um, emotions and where they might lead to the sort of, when you're making the distinction between anxiety and stress, but also, as you say, like understanding yourself and when it's triggering, when you need that phone call with your girlfriends to let off stress or, you know, watching The Office. Is that something you've just 
learnt through through your work and having to rub up? Because I guess you have to be quite good at reading people mm. in a situation where you have to be quite quick to make a call on things. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. So um, when I was first in charge of kitchens, nobody teaches you how to lead. And I am five foot four. And men are surprisingly tall, even from a young age. <laughs> so to lead young um, men is quite tricky because they're looking for an alpha male or were back then. You know, times have really moved on quite a bit but not perfect but um so I used to let's say give direction and I'd never heard it before and sometimes somebody would go no I'm like Jesus Christ what do you mean no as in Mm. I'm the senior chef so it was like I then would go mad like assert my authority I'm quite articulate when I'm angry and then they would, you know, cower down and do as I told. Mm. And then I'd go home and feel huge shame because you, when you see fear flash across a person's eyes, when you see a person feel embarrassed or degraded because you've verbalised their um, weaknesses, in the moment you feel amazing, you feel powerful. You, you are like some sort of cartoon villain rising up. But what goes up has got to come down. So when I used to walk home at night, I'd feel deep shame going, I knew that the direction I'd given that chef was correct. I understood everything about what I was telling them to do, yet they didn't obey me. So what is it about me that made them think I don't have to do that, even though I'm the person who has all the answers for them because I was the most senior person after the head chef. So I bought books on body language. I bought books on management of people. I tried to learn how I could word things so that I wouldn't have confrontation. I wouldn't have to prove myself again and again, a hundred times a day. And I don't really know when it changed, if I'm honest, but I know now that if I ask anybody to do something, they do it. And I am high-fiving, smiling, you know, there's no like dark um, person coming in here with authority, as in, I, I, I don't know where I read it, but you own the space you stand on. Mm-hmm. You own it. Like someone would have to physically pick you up and take that space from you. So you need to feel that that's actually quite powerful, that you're connected to the ground and you own that space. So as you speak to somebody, they own the same space as you. And so if they're taller or broader, irrelevant. Their feet take up the same space. You have that same circumference. And and that's really important when you give a person direction that you're owning that space. I don't really know how it all... Like I said to you, I've got a, a long vision and then all the other bits and pieces are just momentum along the way that I've gathered up, you know. Mm. Rolling Stone doesn't gather moss, but I don't know. This Rolling Stone gathered quite a lot of stuff on the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting that you actually made a conscious decision mm. to, to understand And I've encouraged people, people to do it. I really have. I, I, my, my partner, he used to be like, oh, airy-fairy. Lots of people have said it to me because I really believe in kindness in the kitchen. Mm. And I'd be like, no, here, read this book and have a look at this. You know, you, you, what do you win more bees with um, honey than vinegar? You know, the mm. whole idea that um, we think that um, authoritative people have to be aggressive and condescending and they're powerful. But real power is going um, do ABC. The person does ABC and they make something amazing. This is powerful without having to kind of bend somebody's arm. Yeah. I, I, I love training chefs. I love knowing you're going to be better than me one day. I love the <laughs> feeling of like, if you start off like this, where, where are you going to go? So potential is all in the person's hands and you can just give them an environment. And do you see that when you're doing the, because I've been watching on um, MasterChef, oh. The Professionals. Is that something that really resonates with that whole thing of like when people are hungry for the next bit and... Absolutely. That show, holy Mary, mother of God. You know, I'm sure there's lots of chefs that watch it going, I could do that. Oh, I'll do that dish. The resilience you need in that show. So 
the kitchen is a perfect example where if you've got potential, you will absolutely shine. But potential is one thing mm. and graft is another. So you have to take your own potential and just put hard work, hard work, hard work, hard work again and again. And then you're just not allowed to make mistakes. And you can be the best chef. You, you can be the chef that perhaps should have won the programme, but you made that mistake and, and today you're going home. And I found that really hard. Yeah. There was times where Marcus and I would be like, I know, can we not just let them go through? Because, you know, in our hearts, we're like, we think maybe this person could be a winner. And they were like, you know, this is the whole nature of the game that it's like, you know, mistakes are how people get knocked out. But that's what makes it so important that people have to see that winning isn't everything. It is the participation. I'm sound like my mother now, but it's like <laughs> being brave enough to put yourself underneath that light. And even if you get knocked out in the first round, you're better than thousands of other chefs who are too afraid to do it. Mm. So to keep waking up each morning with more fire and more graft, you're getting stronger. You're stretching yourself each day. You're nervous. You're, I mean, to see where they go when they first do the skills test. Honestly, you should see them putting on their aprons. They're nearly like wrapping it around their knee. As in, they do real random crazy stuff because they are so nervous. I was going to say the nerves, just your brain doesn't work properly. Your brain doesn't nervous. work properly. And then a couple of um, cooks later and they're just blowing your mind with how talented they are. Wow. And that's stretching yourself and getting stronger, stretching yourself and getting stronger. So there's only a, a, a very small percentage of the chef industry that put themselves through that and then actually flourish and grow. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. Richard and I was watch it like, could we do this? And he, he says he was like watching the celebrity one because everything they have to do is a lot easier. <laughs> and he's pretty sure they get shown things in the gaps. So he's like, that's the one. They don't. <laughs> don't they? No, they don't. <laughs> I'll correct him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be quite up for it, maybe. Oh, My mum did it, actually. Um, and... Um, What's his name? Greg uh, tried her meatballs and spat them out. So therefore, he's obviously on my blacklist because you're not allowed to do that with anyone's oh, meatballs. Greg, let alone Greg, my Greg, 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 Greg. It's not cool, is it? That doesn't even sound like Greg. No, I think he's like, he seems like a really nice guy. He but is. back then, maybe, I don't know, early days, I don't oh, know. Oh, might have been early days. It was just hard for me to take, you know. <gasps> my mum's a good cook. I'd be, I'd be kicking windows in and flipping tables. I'd be bailing my way down there if someone did that to my mama. Yeah, it's not cool, is it? It's well, something. I definitely would say that from working with Greg, he is really thoughtful mm. and he's really professional. Um, and he's very aware of, of how it impacts the, the chefs in the moment. Mm. You know, so he plays around, he's joking and he's very, very funny and really knowledgeable. He's like a kind of... Historian, to, you know, he's got mm. so much information, but really, when 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 it comes down to the brass tacks, he's he's aware of that. He's he's in tune with the the cooks. Yeah, he's aware of, of how they'll feel, and I feel he's quite thoughtful in in yeah, his, his approach now. That, really. But he he must have seen maybe he was threatened by your powerful <laughs> mother. Huh? It wouldn't be the first time that a man was threatened by a powerful woman. Her amazing meatballs. Mm. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think, and I also really take what you say about that thing of learning from yourself when you do rise up and you feel like mm. you need to throw your weight around to make a point, but then that bit where you get the shame of like shame. how... Because I think also, if you know you're someone that can be quite articulate mm. when everything's got a bit fiery, mm. it's actually, it's not too hard to take someone down and be quite mean in quite a clever way. And you feel brilliant for like a tiny minute and then you just feel absolutely... Terrible. Awful, because all you feel is that I wasn't good 
at my job. I had yeah. to use and it rattles intimidation. Around and around. Yeah. So that but it yeah. took me, I would say, years to learn how to manage people. Mm. Yeah, and I'm still learning. It's not it's not um an easy thing because as you get bigger, you're managing more people and you're managing mm. more talented people as well. Um, but that's that's kind of part of the journey. I, I choose to to do that and I want to be good at that. Mm. I, I want to make people feel good. Yeah. I don't want I just don't want a load of people who just do what I say blindly. I want them to to want to do the same thing, be on the same vision. Yeah. So yeah, no. basically I've chosen to have the most complicated way to lead people because it means that you're empowering them. So, you know, if you look at any government who really manage people or, you know, over the years companies, the more empowered people are, the more hard it is to get them to do what you want. So mm, but they that's, respect you. Respect is important. Respect is And they're important. also they're invested in the the vision. They mm. feel part of it. Mm. They feel they carry the success of it. And, and that's, that's true. That's really valuable with that's people. That's really true. And that's that's I never um, swan around thinking it's all me. I am a, re- a reflection of my team, mm. you know, and they're a reflection of me. It's it's kind of, yeah, you know, you it's a bit that. of both. Yeah. And when you go home, do you make all of Oshin's food from scratch? So absolutely, <laughs> I am killed cooking for him left, right, and center. But it's quite easy. Usually, it's like <laughs> if I'm doing like moussaka or something like that, I will take a bit of the lamb off and I'll do like little burgers where I'll just won't put anything really in them, just fry them off and when you see you know sometimes he gives a bit of food and you're like I won't look at him because if he knows if I look at him he'll know that I'm watching him eating a new thing and then but then in the corner of my eye or in the reflection of the glass I'm like nailed it and he'll be like (laughs) so he is a really good eater until he doesn't want to eat something and then sometimes he'll get himself to a stage where he'll be starving so then he won't even eat a banana you know what I mean yeah yeah. but usually when I bring out the banana it's the no 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 excited yeah but then you did also tell me before we started recording that (gasps) the only tantrum he's actually thrown was when he wasn't allowed to keep stealing food from the other kids in the nursery so I think he's got a lovely relationship with food well him the food is the boss with him <laughs> three portions of cake he was in the middle of stealing the third cake so mouth open <laughs> going in right and all the other little kids being very well behaved staying sat down while they're having their little mm. snack time and there's Oshin just hoovering up everybody's food I've been there and also like you know if you if you can see the other food on the plate it's like come on you're eating that a bit slightly can I help you with that <laughs> the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree <laughs> you definitely got that from me I am um, you don't want to share a cheese board with me <laughs> it'll be gone well let's go and thank you so much I've loved talking to you honestly I'm so delighted that you asked me to come on the show the amount of amazing inspiring women that have been on the show I was like when you asked me I said to my fella I think she's got me mixed up with somebody else nah not so delighted to be asked well welcome welcome to the island of women (laughs) part of the podcast all good you brought your wisdom thank you That was lovely, Anna Hoare, and I hope you enjoyed our chat. I think um, I think there'll be a lot of people who hear that and feel very comforted that IVF... <laughs> Mickey, I thought you trapped your finger again. <sighs> he was laughing, I, I thought he was crying. Way. I know, but the sound you made. <laughs> well, that sounded a bit... Oh, gold. Oh, Wish me luck with today, guys. Um, yeah, so thank you so much to Anna. And I... Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, my goodness. I think the brain is actually not coping as well as I thought with a 3 a.m. finish. You know when you're young and you go out till 3 and then you can spend the whole of the next day just being, like, nursing. Not, I'm not hungover, by the way. I'm just tired. And you can normally spend that day just being all cosy. But today that ain't going to happen because I have lots of small children. 
And actually, also, I'm singing again today, so I'm off out this afternoon. But it's a nice early finish for me today. Um, I'm singing at a charity event, which is raising money for Karen Keating, Karen Keating Foundation. Um, so I'll be with my mum today. Karen was someone that presented Blue Peter with my mum, and they were very good friends. And um, so, yeah, I'll see her, her sons and her, her mum and go and sing, and I'm finished by six, so you can have a nice early night as well. And... Um, in the meantime, oh, Mickey's got tons of energy. Mickey, can you give me some of your energy? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just as an aside, last night I wore a caftan. It's the fourth time I've worn a caftan since Christmas, and I think it might be my jam for 2023. Caftans are amazing. You feel all glamorous, and you sort of walk around feeling like Elizabeth Taylor in the 60s, but also you're really comfy and... You can just, it's just like a big sack type thing, really. So, recommended. <laughs> um, and also recommended to go and see Belinda Carlisle in concert if you get a chance. Honestly, Friday Night's Geek was so good. I've loved it since I was little, and it's one of those concerts where I knew every word to every song. It's on my feet for the whole thing. That was brilliant. Plus, yeah, she sounded great. And then actually after today, I'm actually completely quiet for next week. So when we next speak, I will be all mellow because I've got no work for half term. I just decided to keep it really quiet so I can be around the kids and actually also host a 14th birthday party for Kit who turned 14 this week. And we're having a sleepover and he's got seven of his friends coming and they're all big teenagers and I don't know where I'm going to put them all. So think of me with that. Anyway, in the meantime, thank you to you. I hope whatever you're doing, you're taking it in your stride and if you're not well tomorrow will be better and ah, I hope you feel chilled and happy <laughs> that's my aim for today chilled and happy and not all achy and hoarse and yeah see you soon bye bye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.